This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 156. And the quote of the day is, without music, life would be a mistake. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And if this is the first time listening to the podcast, thanks so much for for checking it out. I release a new interview every Monday, and uh, this Monday is no different. But there's also, you know, about 150 other interviews in the back catalog if you want to check them out at drummersresource.com, or you can check us out on Stitcher and iTunes as well. Speaking of first-time listeners and new listeners, my buddy Chris Silvestri uh, just recently hipped his buddy Paolo to the podcast. So Chris, thank you so much for uh, for spreading the word about the podcast. And Paolo, welcome to the Drummer's Resource family, man. Glad that you're here. And I'm um, glad all of you are here. And, and I just want to say thanks to everybody for, for listening and, and spreading the word about Drummer's Resource. I really do appreciate it because without you, the listeners, this podcast would be nothing. So let's get into this interview today. I've interviewed uh, so many different people and, you know, most of them are, are household names and, and some of them are not. And Kurt's one of those guys that is such an icon and he flies under the radar a lot, though. You know, a lot of people uh, have never even heard Kurt Biscara's name and which is amazing. I mean, he, he's played with he's played with everybody from Shania Twain to Mick Jagger to Elton John. And I mean, he's he's the real deal and has been for for years and years and years. And. This interview is really great. Uh, he talks a lot about the musicality and and what his approach is to playing and his advice for people who may be getting into the business now versus when he got into it in you know in, in the eighties. So uh, very very insightful interview, and I'm glad that I got him on the podcast. He's such a he's such an awesome guy and just a, a really humble guy. So let's get into it now with Kurt Biscara. Kurt, what's going on, man? Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Nick, what's happening? This is this is a long time coming. We kept canceling on each other just because we're so busy. You know, <laughs> it's funny. Most of these end up taking a long time to put together. You know, once once in a great while, like I'll reach out to somebody and they're like, I can do it in an hour if you want. You know, but usually it's uh, it, it takes – it usually gets scheduled and then it gets postponed and then it gets moved right, and right. all that. So. Totally par for the course. So if if it weren't that way, I would uh, I'd think less of you. I don't know what that means. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean that's that's just the nature of this wacky business we call the music business. Exactly. When the phone rings, you have to go. And if it's you know playing a club gig or playing on some record or a tour, you just have to go, and there's no mm-hmm. questions asked. Yeah, because I think initially you uh, we were scheduled, and then you were like, hey, man, I just got these rehearsals that came up, and I got to go out on the road for you know a couple weeks or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. So, so I always like to get backstory on my guests, and – you know, we don't have to go through your your whole entire uh, life as a drummer, but just tell the audience a little bit about about who you are and and what you do and what you've done. Oh man, well, I I, I came up um, in a Central Coast, California, little town called Santa Maria, just north of Santa Barbara, mm. and um, I came up playing in clubs with my mom and her brother. My uncle, they both played piano in B3 Oregon. So by the time I was 11, I was working in clubs. And, um, you know, that's how I got my training, playing, you know, bossa novas, jazz, you know, some light pop and um, setting up and tearing down my own gear and, you know, all that stuff. (laughs) So I was, you know, gigging at 11 and staying up late as a, as a 11 year old, <laughs> not Jeez. doing my homework or doing my homework at the bar, eating Mendocino cherries, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> so, so were you like the hip kid in school and everybody's like, what'd you do last night? And you're like, I had a, I had a club date last night. Well, you know, I, I think now it'd be considered hip, but I think at the time, you know, the kids that were my age just didn't understand like, wow, what is it that you do that you're, you're doing with your mom? And why do you guys play that kind of music together? And why do you stay up late? <laughs> why <laughs> but, isn't your know, homework just, done? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and um, 
I don't know. To me, that was just normal, you know, mm-hmm. just, you know, coming up and my mom being a musician and, and raising me that way. And, and also, you know, working with her brother, my uncle. And um, that's just how it came about, I guess. So do you think it was, or not do you think, but was most of the, most of your training sort of on the job training or was there a lot of, a lot of shed work going on too? Well, it's on the job training on how to play a bunch of different styles. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially at a young age, you know, everyone and everything, you know, you're very impressionable. Um, you know, first of all, working in a nightclub with a bunch of adults drinking and smoking. And so you're having to adapt to that at a mm-hmm. young age and then having to, uh, you know, understand the music and how to play. And, you know, I, I, I attribute a lot of my groove and my time feel to my mom, you know, when she was eight months pregnant with me, she was playing in her organ trio. So whenever I hear a B3, you know, I instantly stick my thumb in my mouth and <laughs> find my way to the B3. True, true story, I was at an AM show like 10 years ago, and I was in the drum hall, and I could vaguely, just so faintly hear a B3 organ, and mm-hmm. I my ears perked up, and I immediately walked, it was like, it was like two other halls down right. where the keyboard section was. And I followed it, and I followed it, and I got closer and closer. And sure enough, I turned the corner, and there was Joey DeFrancesco playing B3, just killing it. And I'm just like, oh, my God. You're like, I do, I heard it. I do, I Yeah. Heard it. Yeah, it's like the calling, you know, the trumpets. Right. You know? <laughs> Coincidentally, just... the first person I ever heard play the B3 organ was Joey DeFrancesco. So, oh, my God. So yeah, I, grew up, I grew up um, in Westchester, Pennsylvania, which is where he and his father and his brother used to play yeah. at this club all the time. Uh, and then I got to know them, and actually I cut a record with uh, with his brother, Johnny, who's a really, really good guitar player. Yeah, he's supposed oh. to be amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. And he actually – crazy story, man. He uh, – not to get too far off on a tangent, but he – was uh he you know he was a guitar player signed he was you know in all the fender ads and all that stuff and 9 11 happened and he was like i'm gonna go fly planes and went and joined the air force oh wow yeah and like did all these tours flying c-130s in oh man in the middle east yep wow so pretty pretty uh pretty far out but definitely you know you know he's a hero in my mind but yeah me too a true patriot <laughs> yeah it's just amazing though that he just felt compelled to to do that and you know you know i you know i think we're we're so insulated and we're such in a bubble about you know identifying ourselves as musicians drummers you know what have you guitar players and we get so caught up in the bubble of that that there's other stuff going on you know there's, yeah yep there's, there's just so many other things in the world that are going on that we're not paying attention to because we're like, oh, man, I got to get a gig or I got to do this or mm-hmm. I got to shed and learn how to play, you know, odd meter over patting my stomach and rubbing the top of my head. <laughs> that's I that's the <clears throat> calls I usually get for that. <laughs> <laughs> could you uh, pat and rub? It? Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, do you chew know, gum. Yeah. Well, I, that's, let's not take it. Let's not go too far, but. I can I can right. almost I can almost get there, but um, but seriously, I I I agree with the point that you know if you have a day gig and not to take anything away from anyone who has a day gig, but you don't have to like every week sort of like call in and say hey do I still have a job or you know or or maybe you don't have to hope that they're going to call you to come into work on Monday morning, but with a with touring and session work and all that stuff, you're constantly juggling so you're constantly in hustle mode. So it's sort of hard to take your eyes off of that and right, right. look at all the ancillary things that are going on in life. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Which is, you know, it's a, it's a road, it's a journey for, uh, for, for lack of, of better use of words. But so when you were coming up though, was it always, <clears throat> Hey, this is what I'm going to do as a career. This is, this is totally the, the route that I want to go. Oh, absolutely. I knew, God, I knew like in junior high that this is what I wanted to do. Because, you know, the the working force, you know, I mean, what, you know, where I grew up, it was like, okay, you either work at a grocery store and get bumped up to a manager, or you could work at a, uh, you know, work out at Vandenberg Air Force Base and work for some, you know, space program kind of thing and make some good bucks. And, and I just thought, God, you know, that doesn't even interest me. What interests me is drumming. And, um, you know, I had such a fascination of, uh, you know, 
back in the day, it was it was vinyl. So, you know, I'm the youngest of three brothers, so I'd always go through my brother's records and look at the at the liner notes. And uh, you know, I was always fascinated by seeing these names, you know, constantly on all these records. These guys that played with all these artists, you know, Jeff Picaro, John Robinson, uh, um, Russ Kunkel. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. Vinnie Caliuta. You know, it just it goes on and on and on and on. And I was fascinated by these faceless guys that played all this crazy music, you know, from anywhere from pop to Frank Zappa to to the Carpenters to, uh, you know, funk, soul, R&B. And I thought, man, these are the guys. That's the kind of drummer I want to be. And I knew right away that, okay, that would mean me moving out of my small town and going to learn how to read music in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So that fast forwards us to a modern drummer uh, um, ad. And it was uh, a black and white ad with Joe Picaro and Ralph Humphrey. And it said, learn from the pros. And it was a school called Musicians Institute, PIT, Percussion Institute of Technology. And I was like, man, that's where I want to go. And, uh, a buddy of mine who I went to school with, we're the same age. I had no idea, but he also worked at the grocery store business along with me, separate stores. But he was thinking the same thing. He wanted to go to GIT, the Guitar Institute. So we both, you know, put, put our heads together and saved our money and moved in together and got an apartment in Hollywood, and the rest is history. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So how how old were you when you did that? Nineteen. Nice. Right, you know, I, I waited a year after I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. So, and do you I, think you know, your what would your advice be if you would you say that this this hunger to play music is something that has to be a hundred percent music and you have to be a hundred percent into it? Like I th- because I think a lot of times, you know, I know for me specific. So I'll speak from personal example because I don't want to say everybody else, but I love music. I've been playing music my whole life. I do it professionally and all that, but I'm in, I have other interests. So I, I always think like if I have these other interests, can I get to the, to the really like the cream cream of the crop? Right. You know what I mean? And do you think that like, if you're, it's sort of something that you're just born with, not the talent, but the, but the want and the desire to just do that. Well, you know, I, I think, there's a there's a big portion of being born with that seedling inside of you to to want to pursue a career such as music because you know as we both know it's it's a very difficult business mm-hmm. but within a phone call or a coffee shop or a grocery store you know the very famous story of Marilyn Monroe sitting at Hollywood and Vine at a malt shop and she got discovered, you know, that happens, right? That happens. It happened to me. I was, that's how I got the gig being the live drummer on, um, on ER, you know, when it used to be on television, I would go have coffee at Priscilla's in Burbank. And there was this guy that I'd always see. His name was John. He was the, uh, he was the uh, casting director. I had no idea he was the casting director for ER. Right. One day he just came up to me because he saw, you know, my Pisces shirt. He's like, Hey, um, you're a drummer, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, come to my office at five o'clock and bring a pair of sticks. It's like, okay. <laughs> and uh, and I walked in and there's the director and the executive producers of the show ER. And they're like, okay, act crazy. Act like a crazy drummer in the ER. Start playing drums in John's office. So I start, you know, just, you know, flailing my sticks everywhere on his desk, on his chair and, and they're like, okay, we'll see you tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. And the rest, you know, again, is Hollywood history when, you know, you're at the right place, right time. So you were in ER? I was in ER, yeah. It's somewhere on YouTube. Like a single, just one episode or? Yeah, it was, it was, it was actually the episode where they, um, they would simulcast it live. They did, they did three, uh... they did an East Coast and a West Coast live simulcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so we had to shoot it twice <clears throat> for the East Coast and the West Coast. And, um, yeah, I was in that episode. And I got, like, co-starring billing and everything right at the front of the of the, of the rolling nice. credits, which nice. was awesome. So you, so you get royalties every time it plays, right? Absolutely. Well, yeah. God, it hasn't played in forever. But, right, yeah, right. When, it, when it was, I was getting royalties. So it was cool. Nice. So Because I noticed that you, you're listed – on a couple other movies too. Were you in the movies or did you play on the soundtracks? Uh, both. 
Oh, okay. Like, well, like for instance, I'm, I'm in the Flintstones, the very first Flintstones. I didn't play on that, but I was the drummer for the, the, um, the B-52s, mm-hmm. the bedrock B-52s, I think. Yeah, so it yeah. was a B-52s, but we're dressed as, you know, cavemen playing, playing a song within the movie and the, you know, Wilma and Fred are doing the dance and stuff. And is that, I'm back there. Is Mel Brown playing bass? No. Um, I think it was one of the guys from the B-52s playing bass. Okay. I thought Mel Brown, the bass player. Do you know Mel? I, I know of Mel. Yeah, I, th- I I know that he was in one of the Flintstones things. Oh, wow. I don't think he was at that particular one. No? Because I know it was the B-52s and it was myself and then a uh, dear friend of mine, Jamie Mahobrak, keyboard player. I got you. I got you. But um, anyway. <laughs> it's just like – But getting back to your question about, about you know, the perseverance and, and, and the, the need and the yearning to, to become a musician, drummer, you have to definitely have some of that in you to – pursue it and to persevere at all cost. Like I remember when I moved down here, I transferred, I was still working in um, the grocery business for lucky supermarket as a, as a produce clerk. And uh, I transferred to Santa Monica and I was going to school at the same time. And there was just this one weekend. I'll never forget. It was a Saturday and it was a long shift. It was an eight hour shift at Lucky's, and it was right like toward the end of first quarter of MI and I'm going, man, I need to either learn how to play a Samba properly or I have to uh, know how to stack these vegetables properly so they don't fall. And I, so I kept going back and forth, back and forth. I'm like, man, what am I doing? I moved down here. I saved money to go to school. So that night after I clocked out, I told the, the, um, the manager I quit. And I went full-fledged drummer at MI, at PIT. It's the way you got to um, do it that way. Yeah, you got to you know? do it. I, you know, there's a lot of top ramen and popcorn, and I was very thin and sexy then. <laughs> you know? But, you know, that's just what you have to do. I mean, there's just there's just things that you have to sacrifice in order to get, in order to get where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And whether it's, you know, I don't know, hanging out or – I don't, I don't know. There's just a certain kind of thing you have to put forth. You know, I mean, the best athletes, they don't go and hang out on the, with club in the clubs with their friends and goofing around. They're like they're on the on the grass, you know, throwing yeah. the ball or swinging the bat or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael Jordan didn't get to be Michael Jordan hanging out. He was on the court. You know? Exactly. Exactly. So. You know, and I and I look at all these amazing drummers that I love and and look up to, and I know they spent the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, it just does take time. There is some. There's everyone in our society now. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of need for instant gratification. You know, and I think all of us are guilty of that because of just because of technology. Where you know, it's YouTube. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, I could go on a YouTube rage. My wife's like. You know, are you going to come to bed? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm watching this 13 year old kid from, you know, Europe shredding. Right. <laughs> he's never played in a band before, but he's playing all these, you know, odd meter things while soloing, while eating a peanut butter sandwich. You know, it's just <laughs> like, okay, this is like circus, maximus, mathematical, you know, multitasking going on, and I'm and I'm fascinated by it. And like you said, you know, you could just because of technology, you can just get lost in it and, and, and it's instant gratification. But, but the one thing I do know about a lot of players that I see on YouTube, I rarely see them playing in bands. Mm-hmm. So I'm always curious, can that drummer groove with the bass player? Right. Or vice versa. That's always the question that always comes up do you for think, me. Do you think that, that, uh, that some of that is mm-hmm. lost now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, when you go see a band now, you know, you go see these young bands that are all shoegazing. It's like, dude, you're not supposed to gaze at your shoes, man. Look at the drummer and cop a vibe and figure out where the groove is and where the time is and and take it to another level. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's just kind of in their own space. And, you know, I get it. It's a different time. You know, I'm not I'm not knocking it whatsoever, but I'm just of the of the mindset of, man, if you're in a band, and there's five guys on stage. 
they're all creating that one thing. Mm-hmm. A conversation between the five. The, the, yeah, as opposed to five guys speaking over each other. Mm-hmm. I'd, you know, here's five guys that are going to talk about, you know, whatever, you know, the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or whatever. They're going right, to right, right. speak. They're going to talk the talk. And uh, as opposed to, you know, I'm going to do a slap bass solo over your drum solo and it becomes this mess, you know. Mm-hmm. And, I, 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 you know, it's just my probably my ignorance or my bliss or whatever of loving a groove and loving to dance and stuff. But man, it just, there's so much of the circus Maximus stuff going on. It's like, I just want to see someone just bust out the fattest, funkiest groove with the bass player and the guitar player. And, you know, I just, I want to see that more. I think that's right. lacking. Mm-hmm. But I'll, if you want to see, if you want to see like super duper high technical stuff, it's all over the place on YouTube. Yeah, it's crazy, and it's impressive, man. I mean, oh, totally. Like, there's like some, there's some chops going on on YouTube that I'm like, man, I'm not gonna put anything on YouTube. <laughs> oh God, I know, I know. <laughs> like yeah, nobody wants, to, nobody wants to see my paradiddles at 75. Yeah, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, who wants to see a guy play Pat Boone, Debbie Boone? You know? <laughs> yeah. Who cares? <laughs> so i'd love i'd love to walk down a little bit of the path with you uh you know your your at mi and your you know your stocking vegetables and then you quit that so how does that you know how does going from there equate to you playing with johnny cash and mick jagger and seal and sarah <clears throat> mclaughlin and elton john and all of these people i mean that's a it's not like you're not a you're not a one trick pony. I mean, you've had you've had consistent gigs with huge names. Uh, so I'd love to sort of talk about that and your approach to that and how you've sustained all of these, you know, these great relationships with all these people. Well, you know, because I'm a lover of music and I listen to all kinds of music. You know, when I when I got offered these gigs, it was all about how can I get into the headspace and the mindset of the artist. Mm-hmm. You know, because Elton John's different from Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger's different from Tom Petty. Tom Petty's different from Seal, so on and so forth. They're all different characters, and they're all different feels and vibes and grooves. So it really is about understanding musically as well as kind of um, artistically where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I, I remember – reading an article a long time ago with Steve Jordan, how he said, you know, I'm just constantly always trying to honor the music. And that always stuck in my head, along with Jeff Picaro saying, yeah, man, Kirky B, if you just play good time, you know, you'll always work and you always get a call. And that was his thing, you know, just play really good time and play behind the artist and, and honor the music, honor the song. And I always tried to do that. And I guess it's paid off. Yeah, I'd say. I, so. I think, <laughs> but yeah, that's that was always my approach. You know, it's like, could I learn to play uh, nine over seven during the fill? And then, sure, I could. You know, I I had the facility to do it, but I just never a had the time because I was always working all the time. You know, either doing records or touring or whatever. But more so, just that's not what's called for when you get called for a record, you know, they just want, you know, and back when I started, it was, you know, two inch tape. Right. So you, you went for takes. So, you know, a three, four minute song, you had to play consistently from the downbeat all the way till four minutes at the end of the fade of the song or the ending of the song. So that's how I came up. And, you know, it's, it's different now with pro tools or logic, you could punch and you could copy paste. Right. But I'm all for the take because you could, you could hear it and you could feel it. And I always think it, it really adds. Mm-hmm. And at some point it'll come back around, you know, like single headed Tom's like, you know, <laughs> I, I call them shit. Tom. Yeah. I call them shit kits. You know, the 50 buck kit you buy at the swap meet. Yep. You know, those are really in style right now, but then, you know, the big, the big like concert Tom double headed, satin finish that'll come back you know yep. just all everything is always is always cyclical cyclic uh, cyclical goes, thank you that is a hard word to say yeah <laughs> see i was trying to be slick everything goes in circles man how's that That's i like it i like it oh, yeah we'll just punch <laughs> that we'll punch that in 
Okay. So <laughs> cyclical. There it is. Cyclical. There it is. Um, so yeah, that you know, that's just how it came up, and 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 that's. Well, vi- I mean, vinyl is making this huge resurgence now that, you know, people are not only putting out record, new records in vinyl, but they're also reissuing all this vinyl and, yeah. and all those, all these audiophiles want to, you know, want to listen to vinyl because it sounds better. All right. Let me, I'm putting my opinion out there, but I think personally it sounds better. It does. I mean, yeah. well, you know, someone said, said it best to me. They said, our ears are made to hear waveforms. And not zeros and ones. And I thought, mm-hmm. wow, that's that's interesting. Because, you know, if you go way back in time, you go to, you know, you go to all the different parts of the world and how, you know, they're pounding on drums made of logs, made of animal skin. And all the instruments that they came up with, it was all analog, all real time. And, and you know, when they started recording, it was recording the sound waves. Mm-hmm. So it was natural to our ear. And so now when we hear like, a playback of something with little tiny headphones. It's, you know, on an MP3, it's this bit, bit mashed up digital form. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think we're getting all of the frequency that we need to hear. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely loss in there. You know, there's, yeah. there's audio, yeah. audio loss. And I, and this, and for me, <clears throat> you know, and I, I think that we're sort of saying the same thing that, this isn't like a new music versus old music thing. This is just like a, no. a, a, a analog versus digital thing. Like I, I would love to hear you know the latest whatever you know whatever song the la- the latest Lady Gaga song, but just all in analog. Yeah, you know, I would just love to hear how that right. stuff sounds. You know, yeah, it would sound amazing. Yeah, you know, and I and I think like like what you said. You know, there's this resurgence of vinyl, and I, I think. A lot of these young artists will get back into tape. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, "What's that big machine with the two reels on it that collects dust? Let's use that." Yep. <laughs> and it'll be hip to use it, you know. Yeah, it'll be dope to use it. It'll be like, "Oh yeah, okay." And then that'll be the new rage. It'll be like, "Okay, well, every record that your parents know knows and loves was made on that mm-hmm. particular machine," you know. I do love digital for transportation for for transportation, but other than that, you know, I like the I definitely yeah like the yeah analog sound yeah, and then you know so it, and it's only going to get you know cheaper, faster, better, smarter. You know, it's gonna you know it's gonna get to that. What was that? Um, um, what was that Tom Cruise movie where he's he's adjusting everything on a piece of glass, and then he moves over to like this part where there's nothing it's just the air and he's moving these little holograms around it's gonna get to that i'm sure i'm sure it'll it'll get to that you can know? you grab that I guitar like, uh, part and put it here yeah just sort of. have you seen those speaking of which have you seen those midi drums oh god i forgot what they're called but it's triggered by a by a light no um almost like a thurman or something yeah thomas lang showed it to me on youtube and i was like oh my god that's crazy is it but the it's trig- is it the um Aerodrum? Yes, aerodrum. That That's it, it. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly so that, what you're talking about. Yeah. So that that technology will eventually get better. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't realize they were triggered by light. Yeah, it's like light sensors, like uh, huh. you know, uh, infrared. Wow. It's a pretty interesting concept. I saw I saw a bunch of people. I saw Johnny Rabb playing them and like Stanton Moore was playing them and stuff. Like he was playing them at NAM, but Yeah. But interesting stuff though, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot better than <laughs> schlepping your whole kid in. <laughs> I, I I know, and I think you know that's what we're gonna. I think that's what we're facing. You know, is is portability and, and accessibility. And hey, I need you to play drums like right now. Well, I don't have drums. Forget it. I have, I have know, sensors. Right, yeah, I have arrow right, drums. Right. I have sensors. <laughs> hey, man, I just bought this vintage sensor. <laughs> <laughs> And it sounds like a '80s Gretsch. I like it. That's it's uh, funny. I don't know. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time I said, "Man, I should have, I should have played harmonica," you know, just oh, walk yeah. over the suitcase <clears throat> of harmonicas. And be oh done. man, yeah. Like what's it, uh, John Popper? <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to rewind a little bit. Uh, we're we're talking about getting these gigs. So what was the first like? What was the first big gig that you got? Well, the first big gig, you know, um, it was was doing um bonnie Raitt, mm-hmm. 
That was my first, like, well, no, wait. Let me even back up from that. Bonnie Raitt was my first, like, legit session, my first big legit session that I did for a major recording artist, and that was in 1990. But um, I had to graduate MI early in 85 because I auditioned and got the gig for Morris Day in the time. Ah. So I toured with Morris from 85 to 90. And I was his drummer. And then in between times when I wasn't working with Morris, I was playing with Shalimar, um, Pebbles, she, uh, Sheena Easton, um, you know, just a bunch of R&B mm-hmm. acts and, you know, touring. Hank Ballard and the Midnighters, the guy that wrote The Twist. You know, just just gigs, you know, doing gigs when, when gigs were just so readily available. And, you know, there it was it was a time, you know, in the late 80s where – there were so many gigs happening that cats had to turn down gigs because they got offered something better, but no one was ever out of work because right. <laughs> it was just so, you know, available and accessible. What? So are you saying touring work or are you saying session work? <clears throat> but you know, both, I wasn't into the session thing up until I wasn't into it until 1990. But, you know, prior to that, you know, there were so many labels, you know, the record labels and the record industries was, was thriving in the eighties still. Yeah. You know, where they still had A&R, they still had artist development, they still had, you know, money to burn. So, you know, they could try out an artist with a full band and see what happens. You I know. mean, even in the 90s, I, I, like the buddy of mine got a, you know, a, uh, an advance and it was like $350,000. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, up, yeah, up to the probably the mid 90s, it was starting to happen. I remember, and I remember like, 2000 when it was like the apex of the roller coaster you know you when you're at the very top of it right and it's you know and you're at the very top and you're looking down and it's the year 2000 and the record labels are going to go away and you're thinking nah that's not going to happen and you know record labels are just shutting down left and right and studios and but you know it's just change it's it's changed and it's inevitable and you know, like like my friend Chase, you know, who's the drummer, songwriter, producer of this band Zylo. You know, it was just stuff he was writing out of his little studio, and they got signed to Sony. Yeah, and he just put it out there, you know, you know, and and got interest from, you know, followers and fans. Mm-hmm. So it's a new way of, you know, I mean, you know, the, the one I always use is Justin Bieber. He's, you know, he's the guy that put out videos on YouTube and. You know, Scooter Braun saw him, and now look at him. Now he's Justin Bieber. Now, he's, yeah, now he's Justin Bieber. I, I'll never forget. Like last year or the year before, this Chrome. It was a Ferrari or something. It was Chrome. It was shiny and it was really bright, hauling massive ass on the 101. And I go, wait a second, that's Justin Bieber because I remember <laughs> seeing a picture on TMZ with him driving around in that thing, and he lives close by in Calabasas. Oh, so, does he? I just remember seeing that going, oh, man, you know. <laughs> Beebs. <laughs> yeah, Beebs. Slow down, bro. <laughs> More with Kurt Mascara coming up right after a word from our sponsors. This session is brought to you by Sabian, makers of the new XSR line. Now, I could tell you all about Sabian's B20 bronze and trickle-down technology and all of that stuff, but let me tell you what's really, really important. One, the XSR line are professional-grade symbols priced at a price that is not going to break the bank. So these things sound amazing, but are not going to cost you an arm and a leg. And that is really what makes them different. Check them out at sabian.com forward slash XSR, and you can learn more about them and also find a dealer near you. Check them out. This session is also brought to you by DW Drums. And big news for DW this week that Chad Smith uh, is now part of the DW family, which is super cool. And I've been playing DW for years, as you know, because they make these great drums. But they're also a great family. They're a great company. Uh, I've had the pleasure of getting to know a lot of them over there with my work at DW and and Drum Channel, or specifically Drum Channel. Um, But just a great group of people that I'm glad to be associated with them. And I'm glad that they are supporting uh, this this podcast have been for a very long time so be sure to thank them and check them out at dwdrums.com now back to the interview with kurt b so you had mentioned a lot of you know serving the song and 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 grooving and i know that that 
I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would say that that's sort of the the quote unquote secret to the 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 success that you've had is the fact that you can really deliver that. I have been known to do that, yeah. But but more importantly, um, you know, all your favorite drummers, all those records that have been that have sold multi million copies, it's all groove, you know, with the exception of you know, I well, God, I don't know, yes. Just you know, maybe Rush. prog rock, right. yeah, Rush prog rock stuff, that kind of stuff. But like popular music has a groove, and it just you know it's four in the floor or one and three. It's always two and four and eighth notes going on, and whether it's a machine or a drummer doing it, it's happening. Mm-hmm. And and that's what everyone identifies with: those who are drummers and those who aren't. And. um I just, that was one thing I was like, okay, if there's anything I'm going to do, I'm going to master that. So going back to the MI days, I would spend four or five hours playing to a click track and just play an eighth note groove because I wanted to experience the relationship with the click track. So I was never afraid of it. So mm-hmm. I, was, I was always comfortable with it and I knew how to adjust it. I knew how to put my humanness to either play on top, in the middle, or behind it, and mm-hmm. never be never be afraid of a red light when it goes on. Never be afraid of a bunch of people watching. You know, I get most freaked out when I'm playing live, like at the Big Potato. Yeah, there's with, five with, people there. Yeah, yeah, with five people there, it's like, oh my god, <laughs> I'm the same the, way. <laughs> the cat's out of the bag. I suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on a big stage, nobody can see what I'm doing, but they're going to yeah, realize like, I'm doing all yeah, this lame exactly. stuff. <laughs> yeah, hiding behind all these drums. It's like, oh, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So the um, it, it's sort of – I look at it sort of like the equivalent of – you know, we talk about sports, but like a basketball player just shooting free throws and shooting free throws and shooting free throws. You know, it's like – it's not sexy, but I think that – you're going to get a lot farther in the NBA doing that than working on your dunks all day. Oh, absolutely. And you'll be, you know, you'll be like, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm a, I love basketball, but I'm not like a crazed fan, but mm-hmm. you know, you'll be like the guy who's able to give assist and rebounds, not the guy that's always scoring, but the guy that's just always in there holding it down, yep. you know? And that's kind of how I, I view drumming is like, okay, I'm the guy where I'm laying down the bullia base Mm-hmm. Now you could add garlic. Now you can add, you know, the sauce. Now you can add the pasta. Now and, and it becomes, you know, this this relationship and this this flavor. But I'm going to be the guy who's going to just give it the the solid foundation, so you can put the stuff on top. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't mind that position. I, as a matter of fact, I prefer it because you know I see a lot of these wonderful drummers that just chops galore, and they're able to you know, um, execute these chops over a tune and, you know, over vocals and, uh, and around another solo going on and with, with, with ease, but man, I'd be so freaked out to do that because it's, you know, it, it would take me out of the element of the groove, mm-hmm. first of all. And then secondly, it, was, it, it just, I don't know, creates more room for, for it not feeling good. Right. You right. know, and that's my whole thing is that, the track has got to feel good. Yep. So who are your, uh, so who are some of your, your main influence groove wise? Cause I, I feel like you, you're, you know, you're one of the masters of the groove. So who, who are some of the cats that, that you listened to and looked up to oh, or, man. or some specific grooves that you did, that you really dig? Oh man. You know, Jeff Picaro, of course, uh, Morris day. He played on all the early Prince records and the time records. So, you know, I, 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 I think those two guys are kind of my my foundation, mm-hmm. you know, along with Steve Jordan, Charlie Drayton, um, Charlie Watts, Ringo. I, you know, I like I like those guys that play within the song. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love Vinny Caliuta because that that's one thing I love about Vinny. He could do both. He could go bonkers on you. Yep. He could play circles around the music, or he could just play, you know, with with a country tune. Yep. You know, boom, bat, boom, bat, boom, bat. You know, and it's just like, okay, this guy can do it all. He can do everything. Yeah, he can. And, re- and do it really, really well. And do it really, really well, you know. Yep. So, yeah, Maurice White from Earth, Wind & Fire, always one of my fave drummers. Um, 
you know, a lot of, a lot of funk guys, you know, um, I, I love Raymond pounds, you know, he played with the gap band. I love, um, I love the gap band. Yeah. I mean that fill that just sets it up man. it's like, okay, would you hear that? There's going to be some booty shaking <laughs> yeah. and some sexy ladies on the floor and watch out. Yep. <laughs> it just, yeah, it just sets it up for like, okay, this is going to be awesome. I used to listen to the Gap Band in high school, and everybody was like, "What are you listening to?" And I'm like, "Man, this is awesome!" Yeah, it's that awesome. and like Zapp and Roger, and people were like, "Oh and it, my and that, god!" And that was like well before my time, you know. And people were like, "What are you listening to?" I'm like, I "Listen to it. It's it's amazing." Oh man, that's that's totally what I listened to, you know, in high school. Zap, Roger. I mean, I listen to all that funk stuff. You know, I still do to this day. I just I love it. Me too. I, I do. Love it. I do. So if you had, if you were, say you were in high school now, or you were, you know, 19, 20, <clears throat> 21 years old, and you had to do it all over again in this setting, in 2016, would your, one, would your approach be the same or different? And and uh, if it'd be different, what would you do differently? Oh, man, I, oh. well, now that I know what I know now, and if I could go back in time and do it all over again now, I would immediately go out and buy a computer. Mm-hmm. Some good microphones, some good mic pre's, and I would learn how to record myself, and I'd learn how to edit audio. I use Pro Tools myself, so I'd probably use Pro Tools. Right. And I would come from more of a production standpoint as opposed to a drummer, but still study drums and still have that facility going on, mm-hmm. and have equally the the drumming tip going on with the recording. So then that way I'm self-contained yep. because now I could I could go any which way. I could produce, I could write, I could play drums, I can be the engineer for the band that I'm playing with, I can produce it, I can so there's now there's all, all these hats to wear. And I think that's you know, when I when I teach a master class, that's what I always tell the kids, you know, it's like rather than go buy buying an Istanbul twenty-two inch, you know, dark ride. Maybe look at a mic pre and a microphone and start yeah. there or, or, you know, get your get your mobile rig together, a MacBook mm-hmm. with some sort of, you know, USB interface or something. Just because at some point someone's going to need you to play drums for their project or their demo. And if you don't have those tools, they're going to move to the next guy. Mm-hmm. You know? Or you have to go to a studio and pay to record all that. Right, right. And so why not do it yourself? Yep. Because that's that's where it's gone, you know. I mean, you know, there's still great big studios that I work at in both Nashville here you know, and here in LA, and they're still open. And you know, there's Capital, there's you know, um, the Village, you know, uh, Blackbird, and in, in Nashville, those studios will always remain open. They're great mm-hmm. studios, just top notch gear. But for the rest of the world, for the for the working man, the musician, their their budgets aren't the same. So, you know, you got to be able to have the gear to record your drums and to, and, and to provide drums and drumming from anywhere. Right. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it makes it makes total sense. I mean, I, I've even seen the shift literally since I started the podcast. And the podcast is only two and a half years old about talking to more people about more people are shifting to you know making drum rooms and you know like i talked to russ miller and he's like you know i I record a lot of stuff out of my house and and you know i talked to a lot of a lot of guys that are like you know i i do this thing but i also have my drum room and i record drum tracks right well you know i gotta tell you i was one of the last holdouts i remember everyone was already recording in their home studios and i just refused because i i just had this you know, I, I guess I'm a romantic this way. I thought, oh, you know, there'll be a renaissance. The labels are going to come back. The re- recording studios are going to come back. People are going to want to bring music back. And each day and each time I would say it, another recording studio would close down. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> another label would shut down. And I was just like, all right, that's it. And I gave in and I went and bought Pro Tools. I bought a bunch of mic pre's and the rest is history. But, man, it's just – you know, coming from coming from a time, you know, you know, coming up and then being thrown in the pit with all the greatest studio players, mm-hmm. you know, you just think this will never go away because TV, film, 
record labels will always need studio musicians to make records. Right. But that's not, but that's not the case now because you have Beat Detective, you have sound libraries at the wazoo. So you could literally and I and I I did this as a test. I I mic'd up a table, the table that that I'm sitting at now, and I mic'd it up, and I just recorded it. And sure enough, I you know you get the waveforms that you record from the microphone, and then I just sound replaced each waveform with a kick and a snare and a hi hat, and there was my drum track. So you don't even need drums as long as you can give a transient signal. I'm getting all geeky and nerdy here. This is interesting because I don't live in that. <laughs> I don't live in that space at all. So yeah. this is like really interesting to me. So if you provide some sort of signal, digital signal, right. that signal can then be replaced by a kick drum sound or a tom mm-hmm. sound or a, or a crash cymbal. So just sound replacement. Yeah, sound yeah. replacement. And so I guess what I'm saying, and I and I'm not, I'm sort of saying this with a sour taste in my mouth, but I'm not because you know it's, I I always welcome change and and technology, but I don't know. It just seems like drums and being a drummer isn't special anymore. Like I remember reading Modern Drummer in the 80s and the 90s and just like it was my Bible. You know, it was my, uh, I, you know, page to page, cover to cover. It was just, you know, to the point where that I'd wear the ink out, you know, and I read the, I read the, you know, the, the Harvey Mason interview a thousand times mm-hmm. and I knew every word and I could hear his voice, you know, even though I didn't know him, but I was a fan because he was a studio guy. And, um, and now it's just, okay, well, we got this producer and he's really good at Logic Audio or he's really good at Pro Tools. And you could just come in and do some tracks for the album in a couple of days and we'll have it. And I, and I, and I'm not being, uh, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm being really real. You know, they'll have right. a guy come in and kind of just go in and play the essential groove of the tune some fills, some feels, some different things, and they're like, "Okay, done, thanks." Right, so, and then well, they just sort of piece. They just take all your pieces and put it together. And, yeah, they they piece piece yep. it together. So now the drummer is no longer performing; he's just providing information. You know, just little chunks of info. Right. You know, whereas when I was coming up, it was like you better give the info from top to bottom, <laughs> yeah. and, and it better be good, and it better groove from top to bottom, and it better, you know, and it's just, and it's different. That, it's, that's all. It's different. And I've cut but, records both ways. Like I've yeah. done the whole like cut and paste, punch in thing, and then like my record, my last record, we recorded the whole thing in a weekend and just like hit record. And if you flub something, if it wasn't bad enough, guess what? It was staying. So yeah, and that and that's the beauty of like all the the records we know and love, you know, from way back, is that you hear something weird, like something falling in the background. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that, that's what makes the magic of a recording. That's why it's called a recording. It's not mm-hmm. this sterile, pre- precise thing. You know, it's like there was there was shit going on back there. You know, there mm-hmm. was there was feedback on the guitar and and a string breaking, and it was like, what is that? Right. But that's what added to the song. That's what added the music. And 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 I just think we're lacking that, you know, because everyone is just so so sterile about okay, well, we got to auto tune the vocals three times because it has to be perfect, right? You know, well that you know I some I actually just did a interview yesterday for um for I guess I could say I did it for Drum Magazine, and they were interviewing me <clears throat> and were asking about the podcast or something. The guy was like, "Do you edit the podcast?" And I was like, "No, I want <coughs> it's a conversation." So I yeah. don't I don't want people to I don't want to cut out parts of the conversation because you may talk about you may reference a joke that we talked about earlier and if I cut the joke out or if I cut what we talked about earlier out then your reference one sounds stupid it may give the a negative connotation and it's just in it's not organic so yeah I don't cut all, anything it, out you know right and it also gives a a, a false pretense to the person you're interviewing or vice versa you know right, it's like right. you know you're capturing a moment and that's what recording is about you're capturing a moment okay so what if the drummer sucked but it felt good it mm-hmm. was interesting and it's quirky let's keep it right who care who cares if it's not perfect there's something to that there's something that's making you know my blood circulate you know there's something that makes it exciting and i and i agree with the you know sometimes things got to be snapped to the grid and sometimes things have to be really 
square up and down and perfect and and all of that and i think there's a time and a place for everything so yeah you know. absolutely you know and, and again you know sometimes records just need that precise you know surgical treatment to it mm-hmm. because you know that's that's what it is and and that's that's way cool i'm into it you know mm-hmm. but if if it's a band and there's a drummer i want to hear and feel who and what that drummer's about Mm-hmm. And the same goes for the bass player, the guitar player, the keyboard player, and the singer. I want to know the essence of that band. Do you see you know? less of the? <clears throat> do you see less of the other instruments being recorded the same way, and and or do you see it happening more to the drums? I should say. Well, it seems like there's more time taken on overdubbing guitars, and it seems like drums, as long as you provide the. Like like I said five minutes ago, just the essential groove of the song and some fills. That's pretty. That's pretty much the song right there, because the producer can hack it up and make it what he needs it to be. Right, but I'm saying it's it's a little harder to do that with guitar or bass or piano. Yeah, and so yeah. so yeah, so guitar is very much futzed over these days, you know, mm-hmm. um, because because it's an instrument that's you know harmonic that needs to be treated harmonically and and it has to be played in tune and, and, you know, with feel and groove and, you know, and it's, and it's a hard thing to, to quantize. quantize yeah. So, it's, it's, um, it's but drums are easy because it's a rhythmic thing. Right. I, and the reason why I ask, I haven't like recently, I haven't been on, on any recordings or <clears throat> done anything where they're operating that way, where it's like, we're cutting everything. Usually it's like, Go in and just do a session, or or you know, like when I cut my record, it's just like the bands in the room. And we just play, you know. Right, right. Plus, it's cheaper that way. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, see, you know, that's the thing right there. You just said it. You know, it's cheaper. It's 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 all about budgets. Yeah, and there's not there's no budgets in, anymore in in the industry unless you know you're Taylor Swift or Kanye West or you know whoever. You know, there's money being thrown at that. But if you're a band that's coming up or a, or a single artist coming up, you got to come out of pocket. Mm-hmm. You got to go work mm-hmm. at the coffee shop and borrow borrow money from your rich aunt or uncle, you know? Right, right. I agree, man. So you had mentioned uh, some master classes and things like that. So do you, do you teach privately as well in the area? No, I don't. No? I get so many calls and emails. Hey, Kurt, can I take a lesson from you? You know, I... Uh, a, I don't have the patience. B, mm-hmm. I, I don't have the time. And C, I would just tell you to listen to John Bonham and James Brown, and that would be the lesson, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and learn how to read. And, right. you know, and, and, and so, and because of YouTube, like, um, you know, you could go on there and learn anything. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I, I did this the other day. I was like, I want to learn how to be a glass blower. There's like a zillion <laughs> videos on how to be a glass blower and d- the different styles of, you know. So you could go on YouTube and learn pretty much anything. I, I learned how to change my um, my garbage disposal on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so, the home the home remodeling DIY kind of thing. Oh, dude, online it's insane. You can figure out anything. Yeah, and so so and so along with that, the drumming thing. That's you know, come on. I want to play like Terry Bozio. Okay, well, I could go watch a zillion Terry Bozio things and, and cop it. And, uh, you know, uh, Kobus mm-hmm. out at Drum Channel, you know, he's got his own thing and he, he started out playing covers and stuff. You know, and that guy gets a zillion followers and it's because he's playing to songs. And yeah. so there's all these drummers that want to learn how to play to songs. And I think that's a wonderful thing. I, I think it's great because now here's a vehicle for kids that want to learn how to play drums to a song. Right. So getting back to me teaching, I just don't think I can serve the student well. Mm-hmm. Um, but like in a format like this where we're doing an interview or I'm doing a master class where like, you know, 100, 150 students, I could convey a message. Right. I could convey what I've done and – you could walk away with half of it and go, that's awesome. And the other half sucked or whatever, but you'll walk away with something. Mm-hmm. And you know, you it, know, that's part of the, the reason this podcast was spawned because I love, I love knowledge. I love learning, but I also love <clears throat> sharing knowledge, but I don't like teaching. 
Like, I don't like sitting down at the drum set teaching, but I want to educate other drummers about, you know, the, my, whatever, 20 years playing. Right. So, but ha- so how can I do that? And this is the, this is a really great way to do it. And I love doing it this way. And I, so I still feel like I'm still, I'm still teaching and educating, but I'm not sitting down with sticks in my hand, teaching people how to play. Right. Right. And, and there's just something about, you know, again, because technology and the times have changed. There's something kind of old school about the teacher student thing. There's, you know, I mean, even like a DMV class you could take online and mm-hmm. you don't have to go down to the DMV. So, you know, for all intents and purposes, why not learn on the internet um, drumming? Yeah. And then if you want to get really stylized and you really want to pick a brain of someone that you love and, and admire, then, you know, like, for instance, like if drummers call me and they say, well, if you can't give me a lesson, can I hang out with you? I'd be like, yeah, where are you? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm in Studio City. All right, well, meet me for a coffee. Let's talk drums. Right. And that usually that was always my thing. Like once I got to a certain point, I was like, I just want to hang yeah. with these guys and I'll, I'll pay them to hang. Mm-hmm. I don't care. But I just want to like I just want to talk music and drums. I don't need to say, hey, you know, how do you play this specific thing? Or right. Know, right. I'd rather just conceptually mm-hmm. hang and chat and, and just rap about drums, you know. Exactly. And and, the, and I think you learn more from that rather than, okay, this is a paradiddle and we're going to start right hand, left foot. And it's right. like, who cares? You're going to do this anyway and you're probably going to find a way better way to do it. It's like it's like martial arts. You know, you could, you, you could learn the standard way of doing things or you could learn from a guy who's like, you know what, screw all that classical mess. I'm going to get you out of a jam if you get jumped by three gang members. <laughs> I'm going to show you how to take down three dudes and run away. You know, I'd rather go to that guy. Sure. sure. I'd rather go to the guy who's going to teach me how to get my groove on get, when I'm in the studio, know how to interact with the rest of the players, know how to get a great drum sound, know how to tune. So I get it within one or two takes and I could leave and get paid the same amount of money than staying there all day and beating myself up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, man. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> so if people do want to connect with you and, and buy you a cup of coffee or pick your brain or, or whatever else, uh, what's the best way to, to sort of reach out and communicate with you? Oh, I, you know, I, the social networks, I'm on, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. So you could hit me on Twitter at Kurt Bisk, C-U-R-T-B-I-S-Q. And I'm on Instagram as Kirky B, K-I-R-K-E-E-B. You'd hit me there. Awesome. You know, it's, it, you know, most of the time I'm pretty busy, but if like you're around the corner, like, um, God, who did I just meet with recently? Was it Brendan Buckley? I don't know. I can't remember. It was some drummer. Dude, where are you? I don't know. I'm on my way to the studio, but I got an hour to kill. Oh, you do? I'm right by you. Let's nice. meet for a coffee. Because you go you know, to Eric Hernandez is a lot too, right? And just kick it with him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my nephew. Yeah. Is he your nephew? No, no. Oh, no. I didn't. I was everyone like, asked me that, and and you know, it's just an well because he always says it's he always says Uncle Kirk came up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's an endearing Filipino thing, you know, because I'm mm-hmm. I'm older, so he's like Uncle Kirk B, you know, and I'll. He's my nephew, so right. you know we have roots that go back to Hawaii, and so you know it's 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 endearing. But no, we're not related. But but I I'm just I love him, and he's I'm so proud of him, man. Mm-hmm. He's killing. Yep. He's killing. Yep, he is <clears throat> such a nice dude. I when I, when I interviewed him for the podcast, uh, he's like, "Why don't you just come over, man, and we'll just hang?" You know. So I went yeah. to his house and did the interview and everything. And did he and barbecue for you? He didn't. Which I'm, oh, man. I'm a little, could cook. I'm a little pissed <laughs> off about that. I'm gonna actually send him a text when we get off. And oh, I dude, know his I- cooking is bonkers, man. I remember we went he over al- there for a barbecue. It was just like so good. I didn't want to leave. I know he always puts pictures <laughs> up of like all this stuff that he's cooking. And I know. You, know, you know why? It was right before they played on the Super Bowl the first time, and he yeah. was in like total diet mode. He was in like he was like, man, I'm trying to get in really good shape for the Super Bowl. So he was like protein shaking <laughs> and drinking water. So. So there's no barbecuing. Sexy, sexy nonetheless. Yeah. (laughs) Well, cool, man. Well, thank you for doing this. I really, I really do appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can hang in person at, uh, out, out at the, the DW facilities and all that, or when I'm, when I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. Let me know when you're out there. I'll, I'll cruise out there and come harass you. And I like it. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks again. And um, again, you can hit me on Twitter, Kurt Bisk, or Kirky B on Instagram. And I'll make um, sure that I put all that in the show notes so that people can, yeah. can reach out to you. And My website, KurtBiscara.com. Oh, I'm going on tour, man. I, we got to plug that. Let's talk about it. Uh, I'm going to France for the year, touring with a with a big pop artist over there by the name of Michel Polnareff. You're going for a year? Uh, the, yeah, this year, all of this year till the end of December. Wow. Yeah, that's and a I long leave, tour. When do you? Yeah, leave? I leave in. I leave in. Let's see. Three weeks. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it's going to be great, man. You know, it's France and, and, you know, just go play live music there and and, and enjoy the, the food, the scenery, the wine, the the people. You know, the, the French are so supportive of their artists. Right. You know, this guy sells out, you know, arenas. So, you know, we're doing four nights in a row in, at Bercy in Paris. Awesome. And, you know, he's, you know. I'm sure French people here in America know who he is, but, you know, he's really not well known here. But, you know, when you go to France and work with international artists, they're, they're following. They're so they're so loyal. So are you doing just France or all through Europe? Just France. We're going to go up, down, sideways, diagonal, zigzag. That's insane. Yeah, it's insane. There's, a, there's <laughs> an artist in Italy uh, named Gloria. I don't know if you're familiar uh-huh. with her or not. I am. And so years ago, I, somebody – I was talking to somebody or something about me maybe playing for her, and they said, well, the only problem is that she only speaks Italian and she only tours in Italy. And I was like, well, Perfect. I, sp- I speak Italian. My whole family ah, – but Italiano. Si, si, si. Ah, va bene. Dove in Italia? Sono Bruzzese. Ah, Brucese. Si, Bravo. Mia, mia, <laughs> mia familia uh, 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 viva in, uh, in Italia. So. Ah, bravo. Fantastico. Si. Mi moglie è italiana. Oh, si? Si, siciliana, 100% marron. Ah, <laughs> certo. But dove è in uh, Sicilia? Palermo. Palermo? Si. Palermo, uh, Palermo è bella. Sì, sì, buonissimo, che sì, sì. bellissimo. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, I, yeah, I toured there with Eros Ramazzotti. Do you know who, who he is? I don't. He's a huge pop star in Italy. I toured there for eight months with him. I toured with uh, Laura Passini. She's another huge artist there, female mm-hmm. artist, done records there. And, you know, there's, there's just something to be said, you know, speaking Italian, Eating Italian food, yep. playing drums. What else is? I there? was like, count me in. I was like, I'll leave tomorrow. <laughs> you know, it never happened. I know, it, man. It, it never came to fruition. But, uh, <clears throat> but you know, I and I think Michael Bearden at the time was her was her MD. And oh, okay. And I don't know what happened. I was hoping and hoping that I was going to get the gig, but it just never happened. So, what do you I know think? the scary thing about getting doing those gigs is that you start touring around there, and you're like, you know what? I could totally live here. Yep. And I could, man, because my family's there, and like I just I love. So this conversation there. went on for a while, and Kurt and I talked about Italy, and and I told talked a lot about my house in Italy and my family and all that kind of stuff, which I didn't want to bore you with all the details. So we cut part of that out. It's only about five minutes, but I didn't really think that it was adding that much value. And we sort of just kind of went on off in our own world. So I I cut it out. Uh, but now let's get back into it. Uh, we wrap it up here with Kurt. Interesting though. But this conversation is getting me hungry, and I just bought uh, some raviolis at the Italian market, so nice. I'm going to go boil, boil some. <laughs> I like it. So if anybody's interested, definitely get in touch with Kirk on, on all the social media platforms. I'll put it in the, uh, the show notes. And Kirk, thank you for, for being a part of this, man. It was awesome to have you. Great to uh, great to chat with you. And Yeah, uh, thank you, Nick. Looking forward to connecting in person as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if, yeah when you're out at DW, give me a holler. I'll come harass you. I definitely will. (laughs) Thank you again. And uh, I'll talk to you soon, brother. All right. Keep drumming. All right. I will. (laughs) Don't stop. Everybody. All right, man. I'll see you. All right. So there you have it, Kirky B. I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope you got a lot out of that. I know I did. I had a great conversation with him. We actually ended up talking uh, for a long time after the podcast, too. We were talking about Italy and eating Italian food and speaking Italian and all kinds of crazy stuff. So uh, be sure to follow him on – you can find him – 
follow him, whatever, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, also, all the show notes for everything that we talked about can be found at drummersresource.com forward slash session one. Five six, And if you haven't already, please rate and review the podcast. You can do that just by going to iTunes and giving a five, hopefully a five star review uh, and, and your comments on the podcast. I would really, really appreciate it. It helps the podcast show up higher in iTunes and it helps the search functionality. Also, don't be don't forget to check out the other merge podcast out there, the Daniel Glass podcast and the Working Drummer podcast. And until the next podcast, man, that's a lot of podcasts until the next one. Keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Peace.